Well, good evening, friends. How are we doing this evening? Good. Do we recover from the blob comp? Some of you ate it so hard and it was awesome. I love some pain for Jesus. I love it. I love it. Some epic belly flops as well. It was fantastic and it has been an incredible week. Have you guys had a good week? Let's go. Let's go. And this is like technically school. You guys got, this is school and you get to do it in the mountains and belly flop. It's pretty awesome. Uh, But man, I'm so stoked to be with you tonight in particularly. Our whole week, our whole study of what is truth, who is God, what is God's word, what did Jesus say, what did Jesus teach, and in light of all of that, who are you and me in that equation, and we wrestled this morning with sin. But tonight is the whole reason we are here in the first place. Tonight, what we get to unpack is the whole reason Hume exists. Tonight, we get to unpack why your school, King's Academy, exists. Tonight, we get to unpack why you and I exist on this planet. The most important conversation you could ever have in your entire life, we are going to have tonight. Now, this morning, I had to walk through an essential for us to grasp tonight, and that essential was sin. I remember when I went uh, 10 years ago to buy the ring I would then use to propose to my wife with. I remember I had saved up as much money as I could. I went to Joseph's Jewelers, this little kiosk in the mall, and I was like, Joseph, I want that ring right there. And he was just staring at me, this beautiful, beautiful ring. And then he's like, all right, let me get it out for you. He pulls it out, but before he puts it on the display case in front of me, he took out this deep, dark black cloth and he laid it on the counter. And then on top of the counter, he put the ring. Now, the reason why the black cloth was there in the first place was so the ring could shine all the brighter. And this morning, we had to deal with essentially the black cloth, the backdrop of why you and I need a savior. And tonight, we're gonna unpack what it looks like to walk from death, eternal death and physical death, into life. So if you have your Bibles, turn not to John, but to Ephesians 2. We're gonna, I'm gonna be walking through John, but I'm having you turn to Ephesians 2 for a reason, and we will get to that in a moment. Well, with that, this being the most important conversation you will ever have, we will ever have in our entire life, I think it deserves a moment of prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you're awesome. Jesus, I just ask as we have a moment to have an eternal identifying conversation, an identity marking conversation, a resurrecting from death to life conversation. Jesus, I just pray that your truth becomes so evident to all our hearts and all our minds through your power. Father, we give this night to you and we love you. And all God's people said, amen. So again, this morning, we talked about a harsh reality, but a real reality, the reality of sin, that God in Genesis 1 and 2 has created all things 
perfect, and Adam and Eve bearing his image, dwelling in perfect relationship and communion with God. Can you imagine walking in a garden in the cool of day with God himself? And then it doesn't take too long till we get to page three of your Bible, and all of a sudden, it all begins to unravel. We see Eve and Adam at the tree that God specifically asked them not to eat from after he's given them every freedom known to man at that time. And this snake begins to whisper in their ear three lies. He challenges God's word. He challenges God's justice. And he challenges that God doesn't even love them. All three of which are the cosmic, most powerful lies you and I face Today, and Eve and Adam in this moment succumb to the lie. And the saddest verse in your entire Bible is Genesis 3, 6. Listen to this. So women, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, and he ate. In this moment... Rather than Eve, when I look at chapter three, verse six, Adam and Eve don't go to God first. They don't submit the situation to the Lord and ask God for, God, what should I do? Should I listen to you or this serpent? They choose to be the God of their own life. They choose to do life apart from God. And they choose in that moment to do life, what we had talked about in autonomy, separate from God. And then in that moment, sin enters the world and Adam, Eve, and all of creation and all of creation that would come after is permanently stained by sin. And friends, the thing with sin is it always overpromises and underdelivers. Sin will always overpromise and underdeliver. Eve thought that in reaching out and claiming her kingdom for herself instead of walking with God, that she would have life. But what she found as she took that fruit and then gave it to her husband, what Adam and Eve found is that the end of their sin wasn't joy, it was death. And that's exactly death permeates itself in the rest of humanity. And then we get to you and me. So what does that mean for us? It means that you and me are a result of what happened in Genesis 3. And that's just truth, whether you like it or not. We looked at Romans 5, that therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all mankind. Scripture tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That now because of Genesis 3, we are eternally separated from God. And we cannot stand in the presence of a holy God and our wages because we are marked and stained by sin. You and me don't deserve life. We deserve death, both physically and eternally without hope. But friends, the Bible doesn't end at Genesis 3. God's story doesn't end at Genesis 3. Your story doesn't have to end at Genesis 3. Because soon after such a moment comes Genesis 3.15, 
one of the most beautiful verses in your entire Bible when creation at this point is at its worst. God makes a promise. He says to the woman, I will put enmity between you and the woman, the serpent and the woman, that they will oppose each other. And between your offspring and her offspring, he claims that one shall come, he shall bruise your head, talking to the snake, and you shall bruise his heel. What does this mean? God, in Genesis 3.15, on the very third page of your Bible, proclaims that one is going to come, a he, a person, is going to come and crush death once and for all. And in the process will also be bruised in order to achieve this goal. That one is coming who's gonna destroy the pain of sin, who's gonna destroy death, where death no longer has to be the option. Someone's going to come to pay for your sin and my sin. Someone's gonna come to adopt you into the family of God who's gonna take us out of autonomy, doing life apart from God and bring us back into right relationship with God and have new identity as sons and daughters of him that someone is going to come who is perfect and blameless, who can pay the cost of our sin. Then enters Jesus, whom we have been looking at all week long. So what does Jesus specifically do that's so mind-blowing? That he is conceived by the Spirit, so sin does not exist in him. He's not bound by sin, and he lives a perfect life. But it's more than just perfect life morally. He's doing life, again, creation had chose to do it in autonomy apart from God. Jesus then lives perfectly in pure, perfect relationship with God. Jesus does life with God, his holy father, perfectly. This is the life that you and I were always meant to live from Genesis 1, but because of sin and our struggles, we couldn't. And we see this truth Jesus hinted at all the time, that he was going to be the perfect one who came to rescue you and rescue me from death. Hints like this in John 10, 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as my father knows me and I know my father. And then he says this, I lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus giving this beautiful picture of a shepherd walking with his sheep in the wilderness claiming, I am going to die for them so that they don't have to. And not only is Jesus going to die, he's author also the author of life itself. And we see this in John 11. In John 11, a good friend of Jesus's dies. His name was Lazarus. And Lazarus dies and they lay Lazarus in a tomb. And Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters go, go tell Jesus, well, we need Jesus. And Jesus, four days later, comes onto the scene and there's weeping and mourning over the death of this man. And in this moment, Jesus walks to the foot of Lazarus' tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, 
gets up out of the tomb and walks out fully alive. And Jesus says in verse 25 of chapter 11 in John, says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, puts their entire life in my hands, Though he die, he shall, he shall live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then ask that question, do you believe this? So not only does Jesus hint at, I'm going to die for my sheep, I'm going to raise the dead to life again. That you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus is saying, I can make you eternally alive again in me and me only. Then it's after this moment where he raises Lazarus from the dead that he then turns his attention to Jerusalem because in Jerusalem is where he is going to be put on trial and killed. In John 12, 23, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come. He looks at his disciples. Guys, I'm going to Jerusalem to finally fulfill why I was put on this world in the first place. And then we see Jesus in John 13, in John 14, he makes his way into the city. And he tells his disciples on the day before he's going to be killed, he has the disciples go and prepare a room. And in this room, they set up a meal called the Passover, which the Passover was a meal, if you know your Bible and your Old Testament, how many have heard of the book of Exodus? How many of you know the story of Moses? They have a meal called Passover before they leave eternal slavery from Egypt. And they have unleavened bread and wine. And Jesus kind of redefines what this meal is going to be about. And he says that just like you were freed out of slavery, that my body represented in the bread and my blood represented in the wine is going to be broken and spilled for you so that you can come out of slavery and into life, so that you can become out of death and into eternal, abundant life. And I love what the king of the universe does, Jesus. He goes around the table, and he washes his disciples' feet, which is kind of weird to you and me. He's like, why would I do that? That's kind of weird. Well, at the time, all the people had to wear were sandals. They didn't have like low-top Nikes and nice kicks. It was sandals. And at that time, all the waste of the city would be in the streets, and it was caked on the disciples' feet, all 12. And Jesus wraps a towel around his waist, and he goes one by one, gets on his knees, the God of the universe, and he washes his disciples' feet, proclaiming that only in me can I take the most dirty thing, and make it alive again. And I love Peter's reaction. Peter's like my homeboy because that dude constantly says the wrong thing all the time. If my wife was here, she'd be like, amen, this guy's weird, right? But Peter's like, well, if that's the case, wash all of me. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You just need me in order to be clean because, friends, Jesus is enough, Jesus is more than enough to rescue you from death. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And then after the meal, he looks at his disciples in John 14 and says this, listen, as they realize he's going to be taken away, do not let your heart be troubled. 
believe in God and also believe in me. In my Father's house are many, many, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also, and you know the way where I am going, proclaiming that I am going to now set up for you an eternal home, that you're no longer gonna be separated from me, but you're going to be with me in the presence of true love, true joy, true peace and abundance for all of eternity. And I wonder, because the disciples had been with him every day for three years. I wonder if things started coming to mind, the things Jesus said. Things like, I am the bread of life. He who eats of me will never hunger again. That in me you can have life and fulfillment. Or when Jesus would say things like, I am the light of the world. That he illuminates all things and in him is truth and truth personified. Or I am the door. He who comes through me, who walks through me shall have life. I am the good shepherd. I lead my sheep to green pastures. Or I am the resurrection and the life. That death is gonna have no hold on me. And then Jesus makes his way to the Mount of Olives and he begins to pray to his father. And it's there in the Mount of Olives, as he's praying, where a cohort, a mob, a crowd of priests, Levites, also priests, and Roman soldiers with clubs and torches in the middle of the night come to take Jesus away. And Judas, being one of the disciples who has now betrayed him, if you're here and you've experienced betrayal by an individual, so is Jesus. And Judas hands Jesus over. And I love what happens is they ask, in this crowd, this crowd asks, which one of you is Jesus? And Jesus says, I am. And in that moment, the whole crowd falls on their face realizing, oh, this is God. And then they ask again, who is he? He says, I am. And again, they take Jesus away. And friends, I want you to understand something. Jesus is in full control the moment he is arrested. And he's been in full control the entire time. He's not doing something against his will. He's choosing to. Why? Look at me. Because he loves you. He's going to go to the cross out of love. And it's through this time where Jesus is going to be put on trial. He actually goes through six different trials. Three Roman, three Jewish trials, all of which are illegal. They're more of mock trials. Just to have the appearance that these trials are doing something right. And again and again and again, they can't find any fault in him. And Jesus again and again and again being quiet, but when asked if he is God, proclaiming he is and finally, he ends up at the feet of Pilate where we found him when we started our week together in John chapter 18. And he has this conversation with Pilate, this man who is in charge of his own execution. And Pilate asks him in verse 37, so are you a king? And Jesus says, you say correctly that I am a king. For this reason, I have been born and for this reason, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who hears this truth and hears 
my voice. Jesus, when asked by Pilate, are you a king, proclaims, yes, I am the king, the God of the universe, the I am. And he says, for this reason, I have come into the world. What reason? To take away your sin, to take away my sin, to offer a way to be right with God again. And Pilate, realizing who stands before him is an innocent, blameless man, tries to find a way out of it. So how about this? We won't kill him. I'm actually going to send Jesus to go be flogged or whipped and beaten. Jesus is then whipped 39 times with a whip known as the cat of nine tails. And on the end of these whips would be shards of glass, pottery, and bone. And he's whipped 39 times, blood streaming from his body. And they put a crown of thorns on his head to mock him, for he said he is a king. And now he comes back before Pilate, and scripture says they can barely even recognize him as a human being as he stands there. He's been beaten so bad. And Pilate looks at the crowd is this enough? But they say no. And then Pilate, in another last-ditch effort, gives them a choice. I can either give Jesus back to you, or I can free a known psychopath and murderer in Barabbas. Which one do you want? And they all chant out in unison, Barabbas, Barabbas, and the psychopath murderer goes free and Jesus, the innocent son of God, stands there. Pilate washes his hands representing, I don't wanna have any part in the murder of an innocent man, gives Jesus to the people to crucify him. Jesus would take his cross, walk out of Jerusalem to the outskirts of the city to a mountain called Golgotha or the place of the skull. He would then stretch out his arms, be nailed in his hands and in his feet. And at 9 a.m., Jesus would be placed on the cross. His clothes would be taken off of him. He would be stripped naked and soldiers began to barter for his clothes. And they mocked him and they spat on him. And at 3 p.m., Jesus begins to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, in this moment, Jesus is paying for the full weight of the sin of humanity. And he says, my God, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And then at his very last, says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last. And at 3 p.m., after hanging on the cross for six hours, Jesus dies. So why did Jesus have to endure such a death? So the world, so you and me, through him, could have our debt of sin paid. We just sang it about his blood washing us clean. It says this in John three sixteen through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn it 
but in order that it might be saved through him, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus, whoever trusts in Jesus with their whole life will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Now, friends, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 6. This is good news. It says this, Look at it. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You and me, us, your name, my name, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's another name for Satan. And the spirit that is now working at the sons of disobedience. Among them too, all we formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and also of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That you and I were children of wrath, but it doesn't stop there. Look at verse four. But God, but God, if you have a highlighter, pen, pencil, most important, one of the most important verses in your Bible, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, if even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Jesus, the God of the universe, comes and he pays the full weight for your sin and for my sin, that by his blood we are cleansed, we are declared righteous. Righteous meaning you and I now get to have right relationship with God yet again. It says this in Philippians, in 1 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because the price Jesus paid on the cross, you and I, when we put our full trust in our entire life and we make him the Lord of our life, walk from death into life for he has paid it in full, which means you and I, because of the payment of Jesus, can now have right standing with God again, that because of his blood, you are made new, because of his sacrifice, you don't have to die and can walk with God and in wholeness and in relationship with God. Philippians 3, 9 says, and being found in him and you and I being found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of our own, meaning that you and I cannot do enough right deeds in order to be uh, in right relationship with God, but his righteousness is bestowed on us. The right life of Jesus is put on us that we might have relationship again with the God of the universe. But guys, how do we know that the death of Christ paid it in full? How can we be assured that because of his death, we can be healed? We can be assured of this because three days later, Christ raises from the dead. The most epic thing that's ever happened in eternity's past or eternity's future. The, the dead live again. Jesus conquers death, proving that your sin and my sin have been paid in full. That because Jesus rises from the dead, he now offers you life and life abundant. The resurrection proves that his payment was enough. 
Jesus walking out of the tomb was the ultimate verification of the truth that Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world that you and I through Christ can be made alive eternally and have relationship with God. So what does that mean for you and for me? How do we take on this life of Christ? How do we walk from death into life? We receive this free gift that Jesus offers by faith. This grace that you don't deserve, grace meaning a gift that you and I could never earn on our own, that being favor and relationship with God and life abundant. Jesus offers you and offers me that life and all we have to do is embrace it and receive it and accept it. Romans 10.9 says, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. We embrace this truth. We embrace what is called the gospel, the good news, by proclaiming, Jesus, I don't want to be doing life autonomously from you anymore. I don't want my sin anymore. I understand my sin, but God, I'm choosing to lay down my life and take up your life. I'm going to walk from death into life. And the way we do that is just say, God, be the Lord of my life. I know I'm a sinner. I know you have saved me by your grace. I know you died for me. I know you raised again for me on the third day. And I'm going to put my full trust, not in myself, not of the things of this world, but I'm gonna fully put my trust in life in your hands. And friends, you know what happens in that moment? You become a son and daughter of the living God. Once you were a child of wrath, but when we put our faith and trust and hope in Jesus, we now become fully adopted sons and daughters of God with an eternal life, with pure joy, pure love, pure life in eternity for you and for me and life with a purpose here on earth. Friends, because of what Jesus did, you are fully known You are fully known, which means God knows you better than you even know yourself. He knows the sin that's locked away in the closet, and he says, I paid for that on the cross, and I love you all the same, which brings us to our first point. You're fully known, and you're fully loved. He saw you enslaved in your sin and didn't leave you there, but paid for it in full on the cross, which means you are fully forgiven, That when we embrace the gospel and we give our lives to Jesus and we walk from being the Lord of our own life to embracing the gospel, he doesn't hold your sin against you. He doesn't look at you and identify you by your sin. You know what he does? He looks at you and identifies you as a son and daughter of him, fully loved, fully forgiven, and finally fully accepted. He welcomes you back in relationship with open arms like the prodigal son being welcomed back by his father. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, we get to become fully known, fully loved, fully forgiven, and fully accepted by the God of the universe. That you now get to be adopted into the family of God. And all we do in this process in order to make that great exchange and accept that free gift of grace is proclaim, God, I need you. Be the Lord of my life. I'm getting my hand out of the monkey trap and I'm giving my life fully to you. 
And you go from being an object of wrath to being a redeemed son and daughter of the living God who's gonna live for all eternity in heaven in pure joy and pure love. And your life here on earth is now marked with an eternal purpose, an identity that can't be taken away from you. And all you need to do is embrace the gospel, is to proclaim Jesus as the Lord of your life And then he comes and he dwells in you and you become a son and daughter of the living God. This is the greatest news that's ever been penned, talked about for all of eternity. This is the gospel, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, paid your sin and my sin, that we can become fully adopted sons and daughters of him, and all we have to do is embrace it and trust fully in the sacrifice of Christ. So here's what we're gonna do. Because I don't know where you're at when you came to camp. I don't know where you are at in your process with trusting God with your whole life. I don't know where you're at with this good news of the gospel. So I'm gonna give an opportunity. As the band comes back, I'm gonna give an opportunity. I'm gonna just take a moment of silence. And if you want to make that decision, the most important vital decision you will ever make in your life. I remember when I made mine. September of 2011, it's now been 12 years since I made this decision and my life has never been the same. 12 years here at Hume in the woods with a Bible in my hand, I realized that John 3.16 wasn't just some fable, but it was true and it was good news that Christ so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life and my life forever changed. And I fully got to walk in what it means to be fully loved, fully known, fully forgiven, and fully accepted by the God of the universe. And I want to offer you the same opportunity. If you've never embraced the gospel, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never said, you know what, Jesus, I want your life, not mine. God, I accept your forgiveness, your grace. Come and dwell in me and make that great exchange and become a daughter and son of him. What I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna take a moment of silence right now with your eyes closed and your heads down. If that's you, in your own words in your head, with your own words between you and Jesus, say to him that you understand you've sinned, you understand you're a sinner, that you're grasping the sacrifice Jesus has made for you and the life he now offers you in the resurrection, and that you want to proclaim him as Lord of your life, take a minute, if that's you, just you quietly between you and the Lord, make that prayer said. What we're gonna do is we're gonna enter into a song of response. And if you prayed that to the Lord, if you cried out to him to become a child of God, what I'm gonna have your teachers do and your counselors is I'm gonna have them stand off to the outskirts of chapel. 
And if you made that decision and you made that prayer, I want you to go talk with your counselor and your teacher in the process of this song. And if you're sitting there like, Matt, I still don't know what to pray. I've never done this before. Go talk to your counselor, to your teacher. They will walk you through friends. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life. And for those of you who have embraced the gospel, you have given your life to Christ, sing this next song at the top of your lungs. For what we heard tonight is the greatest news that's ever been talked about in the history of humanity. And if in the course of this song you realize, I want to walk from death into life, Jesus, I want to give my life to you, go find your counselor. So let me pray as we enter into this time of response. Heavenly Father, God, you are good. God, that you are rich in mercy. God, that you saw us broken and in sin and you chased after us, Jesus. That you paid the death we should have paid. You lived the life we couldn't and you paid it all for us purely out of love. Jesus, I pray for these students who you love more than I can ever think or imagine. And you paid it all for each one. God, I pray as they're in this moment, in this space, God, if there's any here, God, in that process, if any have given their lives to you, God, praise you. God, this is your space. Do what only you can do. Father, if there are students here who are embracing your gospel, God, I pray you give them the courage to go talk to their counselors. God, if there's any here who are still on the fence, Holy Spirit, do the work that we cannot do. Show them that you are truly the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. Thank you for your adoption. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.